Hey there, and welcome to the Unlikely Artist Podcast, where I'll teach you how to gain the freedom you need to become who you want, instead of who you've been telling yourself you need to be. I'm Heather Kerr. I went from international tax to art and coaching because those are the things I've been yearning to do. Listen in to find out how you can start doing what you love to in slow, easy steps each week. Let's dive in now. So it's going to be so fun for me to share with you today an interview I did with a man, Tom Ashburn, who's got such a generous and such a creative spirit and is so keen to share all of his enormous wisdom with you. I'd like to just give you a short bit of his CV to whet your interest and get a feeling for the kind of guy we're talking about. So Tom was a vice president of finance for one of Canada's largest banks. And after his retirement and with emerging from his wife, he catapulted to international fame as a gifted sculptor. And he creates just these most incredible sculptures out of stone where he captures the essence of stone. And in doing this, he's found both his passion and himself. And he has had so many awards and honors. I'm just going to talk about a few of them. He's an elected member of the prestigious Sculptor Society of Canada and of the Ontario Art Society, as well as the Society of Canadian Artists. He was nominated by UK's Destic magazine and a special feature on Toronto as one of the best artists of 2020. He was recently invited by the Florence Art Biennial to show his work there. He's in the World's Biz magazine, and he's just been juried into the London, England Art Biennial. All of these things are things that just come to him because people are absolutely entranced by the work he does. You can check out the show notes in the episode to find the links where you can see some of Tom's incredible stone pieces and learn how to reach him. And he has a studio and gallery here where I live in beautiful Prince Edward County in Ontario. So if you're ever swinging by this way and you go over to see his studio, please come by and swing by my studio afterwards to meet me for a coffee and enjoy my eight acres walking around. So I would just love to meet some of my listeners live. So today we're going to talk to Tom and find the parallels between the surprising parallels between finance and sculpting with rock and the way he thinks about things, the way he's navigated through his journeys in both jobs, both jobs that he has loved. And um, he's got a lot of successful tips and pointers and things that for sure you're going to relate to. And he also shares with us what his sculptures, her name is Helen, one of his sculptures, what that sculpture has to tell you about your career journey. So listen in and enjoy. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Tom now and we're gonna roll with the interview. So Tom, I wanted to start out with getting a picture of where you started your journey. You ended up being the VP of finance for Scotiabank, which is one of Canada's top 
Thanks. And what's really interesting about you compared to some of the other people I talked to is you actually really loved that job. And I know when we were talking earlier, you and I were geeking out some of, about some of the things about working there because I used to be in the finance industry as well. But I think a lot of our viewers are not from that. So what I want to do is focus more on like your journey and what your experience was like for you. So that's what we're going to focus on today, what your journey was like and what your thought processes were around that, because I think that's going to be so helpful to the listeners. So let's start out with talking about like what the best parts of your finance VP job were for you, because that's kind of unusual people that have made the big transitions like you're making to actually have really loved the job that they were coming from. Well, what I've, um, I think, first of all, um, it's, a, it's a little common, but I love the people, right? And I love working with the people and they're really smart and really, I really enjoy bringing people along. But on a more personal note in terms of my skills, I had the phenomenally great fortune to be able to go and do something I enjoyed and I was good at right from when I started with my job uh, to close to when I was finishing with my, with things. And um, my biggest skill is my analytical skills and my abilities to see things that other people can't in um, when I look at, at numbers or problems and, and, you know, solving puzzles and trying to get to the base of something. And it was very, always very rewarding actually coming to a, a, a conclusion or to a, uh, a piece of analysis that no one else had actually thought about. And it's a pretty rare thing that you can have a career where uh, you're not just doing a, an action, but you're creating things and thinking things and solving problems and, and then able to work with a lot of people to help them solve their problems and to, to grow and, and to learn. It was, uh, you know, that was the, those are the best things. And um, to my great fortune, um, pretty much for 80, 90% of my career, uh, I was able to enjoy all the things I love to do. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And we're going to come back to this in a bit, but some things I can see in common between what you did there and what you're doing now, but we will get back to that. First of all, I just want to go through your journey a little bit more. So um, when we talked before this interview, you were telling me about how you went from being a teller to going back and doing your MBA and then coming back and taking something which I thought was funny. You called it the mystery box job. And you were, you told me about how you're offered three different jobs and why you chose that one. So I'd love you to share that story and tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, I mean, uh, Graduating, I mean, uh, a Canadian bank was a great place to go and work for. And, uh, uh, you know, fortunately, I had a relative that could introduce me. And I started as a, you know, in their branches and then realized that that really, really wasn't exactly for me. I was really good at it, but I wasn't exactly for me. And then I went back, got my MBA in finance, which um, was from U of T. And I think that they've got a phenomenal program there and then went back to the bank. And so when I went back and I interviewed, um, 
with people because they came on campus and I thought, hey, there's a job that I would really like to do, something in finance. And so I interviewed two jobs. And then when they came around to uh, offering me positions, um, they said you could have this one, this one, or the mystery box. And I said, is there a job description? No. Is there a description of what they do? Uh, no. Um, it's a brand new department and it's supposed to do project stuff. And I asked them, could I talk to somebody in, their, in the department to, to see what it's like? And they said, well, no, because they're way too busy to come. They can't even, you know, <laughs> come and talk to you. And I thought, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. But, you know, you got to take some chances. And, you know, every, I, I really believe that in everybody's life, there's a certain inflection points where you take, make a choice and it takes you a direction. Um, and that was one of those. And taking the mystery box turned out to be um, the best choice I could have ever made um, because it got me involved in doing things I loved, and doing projects and doing puzzles and all kinds of analytics, uh, working for people who were uh, really, really brilliant and who went on for really great careers and kind of, you know, looked over me and took me along with them. So, you know, to anyone out there, I would really encourage you to try take a bit of a flyer on some things. I mean, you know, if you're really good at what you do, you'll find your way. There's a, uh, someone once told me, um, when they were looking at my accomplishments, they said, you know, the cream always rises to the top, no matter what you do, no matter, and if you're good at what you do, um, and opportunities come. I mean, you could always go and do something different. I mean, I, I didn't because I loved what I did. I mean, I did different facets of the finance stuff, but I mean, there was no other jobs that I would have traded for, for what I had. And, and uh, so really, you know, take the chance. Um, it was a little easier for me because that was really my first real job. But mm -hmm. still, uh, you take the chance, you learn, and then, you know, you work with the best people you can work with. That's just the best way you can take your career. And so what was it like, so you had a choice between a complete unknown and then two things that were known. And one thing that you mentioned that you're thinking is, oh, that's interesting. Was it like the mystery of it all that intrigued you or I, was it? I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I guess, I guess partly the mystery, but partly the, hey, you know, this sounds like a really cool opportunity. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things now, you know, when I was starting out, the tenor that you had in a job was a little longer than what mm -hmm. uh, most people think of these days. But, you know, um, I thought it was kind of different. I mean, I thought it was kind of fun and uh, it made for a great story saying I chose the mystery box. <laughs> uh, and this is why we're talking about it here today. <laughs> I mean, and, but, you know, it was, it was unconventional. Uh, really, when you get down to it, when I think back, um, the, the other jobs were, were more um, conventional jobs doing uh, established analysis, um, working for, um, you know, people that were good, but not, you know, um, I ended up being better than them. Mm -hmm. But still, um, you know, you, 
it was it was different. It was interesting and can you know I thought, hey, why not give it a try? The other things I could always go back and do the other things, I, and I didn't really see much long term future in doing the other things. Right. Um, so why not give it a whirl? Yeah, you know? give it a whirl. Take some chances, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and and you know at the time you know and when you're in your career you kind of say should I do this? Should I do that? Should I not do this? And sometimes you end up with a bit of paralysis. You'd end up with a bit of a situation where you're too afraid to go and try something different. And you sort of say, well, I can't. But you know something? Every time I've tried something different, it's come out to be work out pretty really, really well. Um, because if you trust yourself, you trust your skills, you trust your abilities, um, you know, and, and not to be, you know, think you're, you know, being arrogant about it, but, but if you really believe in yourself, um, you're going to, you're going to make it. Um, and then if you get to do something you really love, you're going to really make it because, because there's not a single person that I've ever met who hasn't done better doing something that they like and love and really enjoy. So, you know, that's, you just, you know, a word to your people out there, give it a whirl and try and, 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 you know, have faith in yourself. That's the, you know, really, that's the biggest thing. I love this because it's a philosophy that we haven't even got to the part where you leave all of this to become an artist. And so it's like a philosophy that holds for people that are choosing to stay in a corporate career, trying to yep. stay in a professional job, you still get to, as you put it, give it a whirl, right? And take mm -hmm. a chance and follow what you like. And, you know, it's true. I think we hold ourselves back by trying to stay safe and trying to plan everything out ahead of time. And that's, we stay safe and we stay small doing that. So I love that example. Well, the other thing that, the other thing that I have found um, and it's, a, it's, you know, I don't, I'm sure I have succumbed to it at different times, but, you know, a lot of times people listen to other people too much. And so they, they really, they do. They go and they say, Hey, uh, you know, someone says, Oh, well, you're really good at this. You should go and do this. Yeah. And so start running in their mind. Well, maybe I should do that. But that perspective comes from the other person and they're just as likely to say hey you should go and do something I think I'd like to do but I can't do or I don't know how to do or I don't want to take the chance so but you'd be really good at it yeah and and you know so when you're not like you, you can't you, you want to take people's guidance but the more times you um you, you take it as as a word of faith that you should do this or that or or it's you know, um, a lot of times people say, well, you know, you shouldn't stay in a job more than two years or three years or whatever. Or whatever. Well, there's, there's always things to learn. There's things to do. There's things, ways to grow. And, and it's, you know, keeping fresh in a job is just about as much about you working hard to keep yourself fresh as it is about everybody else around you keeping things fresh. I think every single one of my clients who's listening to this will be laughing right now because I'd say half my coaching time is spent on getting people to trust their own judgments and take chances and not 
try to canvas the world for their views. And I even did one episode about this because every job that I took meant I left a previous one and everybody when I left a previous job always thought I was making like the career mistake of my life. So I am totally in agreement with you that you limit yourself a lot if all you do is canvas other people's opinions and then try to figure out the best out of those other people's opinions because you actually inside probably have a better idea of where you should go for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and what is good for you, no matter what people say, is good for you. I mean, and that goes for like all kinds of different aspects of your life. I mean, um, you know, and, uh, you know, if you want to buy into something, buy into yourself, right? Don't buy into somebody else because they're not going to be there later for you, you know? And, and if you do a really great job and if you do really connect with people, people, people have this connection. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable thing. I mean, um, I left the bank in 2013 and I still have now COVID's gotten away a bit, but I still have all kinds of people that reach out and say, would you like to go for a, lunch or dinner or how are things going or what's, you know, I mean, and these are all ex staff and they're not because I had a relationship with them uh, outside of the workplace, but because they, you know, they liked me, they respected me. They thought I did a wonderful job. I could give them really good advice. Um, and, you know, I always had people's try or tried to have people's best interest as I had, as I could in mind, as to what they're doing and how to teach them. And I love teaching people, just really enjoyed that immensely. And, you know, um, I tried to teach them how to think. Yeah. Right. Well, and and that, that's parody. That's wonderful. Cause that's what you're helping the listeners uh, on this, on this episode do is learn how to think. I just wanted to move over into your move over into the art world. And one thing that was really fascinating was that you didn't have any formal I think you said you didn't have any formal training in art and yet you leapt from being VP of finance without this formal training to becoming an incredibly successful sculptor as I mentioned in the introduction to this episode I was just wondering how, how did you do that how what like <laughs> how, did you, how did you do that? I'm sure everybody was listening saying, how did that happen? Well, there's, uh, there's a certain part of me that says, how did that happen too? But, um, you know, one of the things I would say to your readers or your listeners, I should say, is that my personal experience is that things that we have interest in, things that we are uh, like to do prior to leaving corporate life or prior to leaving where doing whatever you do the same things you have the same interests and while I was never part of the art making world I was part of the collecting world and so I collected a lot of art I, I my my really my skills as an artist really have come from looking at people's work and saying I understand that that's how it works that's that's good I really like that or I don't like that or or why does this work and, ask, and interacting with a lot of artists. So in a sense, I, I got a, a real primer in what, what is good and what isn't good and what, what, how things could be. And, 
Um, and if people could see my collection, they would see that it's a really eclectic collection. Now it's heavily into sculpture because that's my favorite thing, but I've got all kinds of stuff. And I was never hesitant about making choices on the basis of um, what uh, was the right thing or what wasn't or price or anything like that. I always, and you know, uh, thought to myself, you know, like I never negotiate with an artist ever, but um, I looked at things and I always had the perspective that, you know, if I paid $500 for something instead of a thousand, I could have two. Right. <laughs> and, and so, um, and I looked at the aesthetic of the piece. So whether it was a piece that was, hundred dollars or five hundred dollars or whatever I, I look at it and i think is that beautiful is that something that i'd like to i mean this have a lot of artistic value to do i feel good mm -hmm. and that and all of us that learning and and not not just learning but also being independent so i never relied on someone to say to me hey this is good this isn't good i just buy i bought what i liked and enjoyed and um that confidence that built up in me from making my own personal choices um, has something that has been a, a hallmark. I mean, you can, um, you can look it back to the mystery box thing and you can look to back to my career and stuff like that. But, but having that personal confidence and saying, Hey, this is, I like this. And whether it's really expensive or really, I mean, a lot of people think value in art has to do with money. Value in art has to do with what, um, what you get out of it, what you see in it, whether you like it, whether you can live with it, whether, you know, and, and, and if you see a bunch of it, you've got to see what is a good composition. What, mm -hmm. So anyways, that's, so I learned a lot about art. And so if one is to look at my art, you will see a lot of the same characteristics as the things that I personally think work that show up in my art. So how did you go from loving art and noticing all these things you liked about it to actually creating art? Well, um, when I was getting ready to leave corporate life, mm -hmm. um, you have to do something, right? And, and my, my wife is a consultant and she, she's doing stuff all the time. And she was, at the time she was traveling and working out of the country probably four or five days a week. Mm -hmm. And so this concept of you can't sit around and eat bonbons um, was, <laughs> was kind of drilled into me a bit, but um, you know, it, it was a, it, again, it was like taking the mystery box, right? It yeah. was like, like, you know, Hey, um, why don't you try this? I think you might be good at it. And, and I lined up um, in some instruction, and and uh, from a good friend of mine, and to be honest with you, we spent half the class time doing something and half the class time sitting with a cup of coffee chatting. Right. Um, but, you know, I learned the basic techniques and then I just went on and I did it. And that's, and again, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the, uh, you know, it's like looking back at my career and looking back at what I've done in my life. I mean, you just do it. And, and all of a sudden, the skills and abilities that you have in, in uh, you know, with my sculpting, it's all about my analytical skills. 
In my working, it was all about my analytical skills. So I just applied the same problem-solving analytical skills to doing sculpture as I did to, um, you know, when I was doing pieces of analysis for the Bank of Nova Scotia, looking at the results and looking at the performance of people and looking how things can work and um, building models. And it, it was all the same kind of skills. It's just, you know, in one case, you're doing lots of digital number stuff and the other thing you're dealing with stone. And, and it's, you know, and you work with the stone. Like I always work with the stone, just like I worked with the people. And, and that, that, as I say, those characteristics and those talents, and I would say to people who are listening that, you know, you have every, you, you have great talents. You may or may not be using those talents right now, but, you know, take a good look at what your talents are because that is what's going to be transferable into your next job. That's what's going to be taking you to your next career. That's what's going to be helping you build, you know, whatever your financial base is so that you can do whatever you want in your life. These are all things like your skills are, are probably way bigger and way better than you ever imagined. I mean, yeah, um, I, I really love that concept. Your skills are way bigger than what you've ever imagined because, you know, it takes an open mind to take kind of like an analytical finance job and to see the parallels between that and sculpting, which is what you did. You said, I love this. You know, I've collected artwork for a long time. I know I love this. And wait a minute, I've, I've got those skills so I can actually make it happen. And so that's why I think it's, you know, when we tell the stories and you say, oh, you know, I was had no formal training in the arts and then like I blinked my eyes and I became a sculptor. It's, there's some, like it, it's not so true when we dive in, right? Because just because it wasn't formal education, you had years and decades of art education. It was just that it was informal. It was self-taught. And yes, you were a new sculptor. You were new at doing that, but you had years of applying your analytical skills that come in so handy. So I think sometimes we think that things are bigger leaps than they actually are. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. And, and I think that each one of us, everything builds on everything else. And, and quite certainly the things that you do when you're working, when you're at a particular job, those are those skills, those abilities, those things, they're all things that, that you do in later points in your life. And, and I know that your clients are more uh, about, you know, looking at jobs and things like that. But I would really, really encourage them to start taking up things that they love or things they're interested in before they get to the point where they're leaving a corporate life or they feel that they need to, because you do the same kinds of stuff before you leave corporate life as you do after you corporate life. I mean, it's, you know, if you never played golf before you retire, you're not going to play golf because there's a reason you never played golf before. Um, and deluding yourself into believing that, hey, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to play five rounds a, a week. It, 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 it doesn't come out like that. It, it's you build on all the things and the things you love, you still love. And you're going to just, you know, work on those things. And that's um, it, why. Go ahead. Yeah, so it, uh, it, um, I'm just tying this back into something that we talked about 
again, not, not, not here in front of people, but earlier we were talking about the experience a lot of men have when they retire from a job that's a fundamental part of their identity and who they were. And so one of the things I'm hearing from you is say you're in your forties or fifties, it's time to make sure that you have some other things of interest. So you don't get that being put out to pasture feel. So is it would that be your advice to somebody like whether you're a guy or a woman, the same thing can happen. Like somebody in their forties or fifties, if you, if, what would you say to them? If, if, if they are kind of one dimensional and hundred percent career focused, what would you tell them? Um, I would say, sit down and think about what you really love to do and what you really enjoy doing and then start exploring it. I mean, uh, one of the things that I found in my life, I, that, that came with a finance career is a, an incredible amount of overtime, an incredible amount of extra work. It's, it's you know, you, you kind of sell your life to um, the bank when you're in a finance job and probably not so much in some of the other jobs, but, you know, no matter what you do, if you, if you have something that you love, you can find that extra hour, extra two hours, whatever it is. I mean, if you love to go and garden, it's a pleasure going out and gardening. And you don't think of it as, hey, I'm doing something towards my, you know, later life. But you go and you do stuff. I mean, um, I took some courses in interior design, more aimed at uh, antiques and stuff like that. Uh, I learned a lot of principles. Uh, but, you know, I went from a job where I thought I had no time to manufacturing 10 or 15 hours a week to do something I really enjoyed and I really wanted to do. And, you know, that is something that you kind of got to step back and say, this is, you know, I have the opportunity to manage my time in a way that maybe I don't think I do and to do some of the things you enjoy because they all build, they all, these things all come back to you and they're like an investment in your life, even though you're kind of getting a real enjoyment out of it, um, there's still an investment in your future. And, um, you know, when you have a little more time, you can do some of these things, but um, it also provides you with a, I don't know, a break. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I've heard from a lot of people with, especially with the COVID is that, you know, your life is work all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. And one of the things that I, uh, I did when I was working, not totally consciously, but it worked out, is that I split my home life and my work life. And so when I left work, um, now it didn't mean I didn't worry about it and stress about all the things happening, mm-hmm. but I didn't take work home. I stayed at work and I did whatever I did when I left work. Uh, if I was on my weekend, whatever, if I didn't, you know, I didn't bring stuff home. And that gave me a bit of a separation. And I think everybody needs that. And, and that gave me a bit of an opportunity to do a few things. Now, it meant that I wasn't ever home very much. And I never made home for dinner and all that sort of stuff, which wasn't so good for my personal life. But, um, you know, you, you got to have a bit of work-life balance. I know it's a bit of a, a you know, one of those things that throw you got to have work-life balance. But you have to have... I don't know about, about life balance. You have to have your 
you have to have things that you enjoy. Like what's the point in making tons of money or, or working all these hours if you don't have some things that you enjoy along the way? I, I, I love that as well because, you know, so many people that listen to this feel like their lives are and their jobs are too overwhelming to make any time for themselves. And I find that anytime I've coached somebody and they actually start creating some of that joyful time for themselves, even if they keep the exact same job, they end up being able to do things quicker at their job. They get along with people better. People want to be with them more because they're kind of happy and they're fun. They're not disgruntled and upset all the time. And people end up getting promoted or being elevated even in their jobs just because they're enjoying life and they're showing up as a more fun human being, which makes other people like being around them, right? Uh, Totally, totally correct. Everybody likes a happy boss. Everybody likes a happy employee. That's right. So just coming back to your transition to becoming a sculptor, I just was wondering, was it like instantaneous that you took off or was there any kind of transitional period? Was it slower in the beginning? Was there any kind of roadblocks at the beginning that you had to overcome? Uh well, my, my sculpting skills sort of blossomed really fast. And, you know, within a, a year of leaving the bank, I was in a, uh, a show at a, a local gallery and selling my work. And I mean, it was just like, it, it's, it's one of those things that if you had stopped to think about it and say, oh, well, this is, you'd never maybe have done it. You just like, I just did it. And I never believed that I wouldn't be successful. I never believed I was you know, I always liked what I made and hey, this is great and everybody's going to like it. And it's just like, there is, there is something about just not letting anybody put roadblocks in front of you that somehow gets you so much further than you ever imagined. It's right. And people would say, well, don't be upset if you don't sell anything. And I would think to myself, of course, I'm going to sell stuff. And I did. <laughs> and then, and then you keep, making stuff and you do stuff. But the, the biggest thing that was the limiting factor for me at the beginning, frankly, was that making the transition from just having fun doing sculpture to becoming an artist. And that had a lot to do with the fact that it was very, I found it very challenging leaving corporate life and then finding myself afterwards. And I think you mentioned a little bit about it um, in terms of, um, you know, what do you do and stuff like that? And who are you? And I, I really truly believe that the most important thing for me was suddenly getting my little card that said, I'm a sculptor because I was finally something again, because you leave corporate life and you are the center of everything and you've got no people and you do stuff and the people come to you and they have, you know, you're a bit of a star because you're an executive and, and everybody knows who you are. Even if you can't remember their name, they know who you are. And, and then you go from that to, um, you know, you're out there with the trees and the birds and the bees, and they don't really give a darn what you are and who you are. And you have to kind of find yourself again. And, and it took me about three years to find myself and to, to get past being what I was uh, now it seems like a million years ago, but 
it, that was the hardest thing. And, and that transition to being something like to becoming a sculptor versus somebody who just goes out in their yard and makes some stuff and is, does a bit, it's a bit of a hobby type thing. And, you know, fortunately, um, I never stopped to think about how difficult it was. I mean, I have a lot of, um, I mean, a lot of artists, you know, are in a bit of awe because they say, you do stone sculpting. And I said, well, yeah. And, and I, and they say, well, that's really hard. That's really, I mean, that's, you know, I, I can't imagine myself doing it. And I look at their art and they're wonderful painters or printmakers or photographers. And, they, and I look at their art and I say, wow, I wish I could do that. Right. Well, th this goes back to our discussion early, uh, earlier on in this interview about not listening to what other people say, but what's possible for you, right? If you'd listened to all those people, right, you wouldn't have, you know, skyrocketed into being an internationally famous sculptor, sculptor, yeah. right? Yeah. You would be stuck in their mindset about how it's going to be really hard and it'll be difficult and all, all of that stuff. Well, yeah, and, and probably, you know, if I had focused on how hard it was or how I wouldn't sell or whatever it is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to have the enthusiasm, the energy to go out there every day and put all the work into something. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that the, the more you think about it, the more often, the more roadblocks you put into yourself. And, you know, you, you have to have faith and, and faith in yourself and faith in your judgment of what's good for you. And, I mean, and as I say, it's just you go and you, you do the stuff. And, and I mean, I, could I have ever imagined, you know, or could anyone have imagined if, you know, if you had looked at me a year before I retired and said, what's he going to do? The answer would have been, I can't imagine what on earth he's going to do because he works all the time. <laughs> so all he does is he works. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, uh, you know, he's a really great guy, but, oh, you know, what's he going to do, right? And, and so, you know, um, you just, I just do this now. And, and the accolades, the, the things, I mean, you know, it's the same thing with going and sending pieces in to, uh, to be juried into shows. I mean, um, we have the belief, or I have the belief that I'll get into every single show I send something into. It seems to be happening, right? You're, t tell me about the Florence show. So um, in October, um, I've been invited to go to uh, the Florence Art Biennial in Italy. And uh, it was a total serendipity. I got an email. And it turned out that it was the president of the Florence Art Biennial that emailed me. I didn't know at the time. And wow. encouraging me to apply because you have to, you have to apply and send pieces in to be juried. Well, the, uh, we weren't sure if that was like serious or not. And eventually we sent our application in and, and uh, because that's when we found out it was the president. And when, uh, when we sent our application in, we got approval in two days wow. to be part of the show, right? Um, and so it's it's like hard to imagine. I mean, it's uh, you know now you know it does cost some money to ship your work over to Florence, and and it costs some money to ship yourself over to Florence. We're really 
looking forward to being there for it's a 10 day show. Um, but the show is all about showing art. It's not about selling because nobody is allowed to sell at the show, but it's unbelievable what people like how things work and how things you go. And I mean, um, we found out the other day that we didn't know that we were in Air Canada's En Route magazine they had in their, in their plane, right? That was in November. Nobody told us. Um, you know, I'm, the moniker was 10 Canadian artists. And uh, you flip open the page and um, there is some benefit of having a name that starts with A because I was the first on the list. Uh, you know, all these things, I don't know, they, they kind of happen. And, and uh, you know, if you're trying to make them happen, you probably would never be successful. But you just do what you're doing. And people, you know, people love you and people love what you do. It makes a humongous difference. And, and to the people who are out there, you know, the, your, your listeners, um, you know, one of the things I never quite appreciated when I was working was how much the people around me supported me. And, and you know, that, that, that word of mouth in the business, in the, well, in the working community there, I mean, people had huge faith in me and, and believed in me and, and, you know, they had all this confidence. And so um, people had my back everywhere. I didn't even know. And, and, and that, that support and, and to be able to have people say, oh, yes, yes, uh, the numbers are right because Tom says they're right. And, and, you know, I look at it and I think, holy crow, I mean, you know, I know how wrong the numbers could be, but they believed. And, and that's something that, uh, again, you know, everyone needs mentors, everyone needs um, people, but people who legitimately believe and are supporters of them. And because, you know, and they look, you know, it's the same thing with the sculptures. They look at, they don't look at me as a person, they look at my art and, and my art is pleasing and, and interesting. And um, it, it's, it's really lovely. It's, it's, but it's also a reflection of myself. I mean, you know, it's not sharp. It's not, um, you know, art that is trying to make some social statement or art that's trying to be in your face or art that, you know, I hope that my art is something that someone can have for 50 years in their house and really enjoy it and pass it down um, rather than something that people would not have uh, they say, oh, well, that's, you know, that reflects a certain social situation or social values of the time. And so because the social values have changed and I've changed, I'm going to put it in the closet. Or right. the so I, I, I love your approach to art. So I'd just like to actually talk to you just a little bit about your sculpting of the rock and like what your process is for discovering the essence of the rock. Cause I thought that was super interesting. So um, each piece of rock, like it has to kind of talk to me. So it sits, it sits there waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I go and I look, Hey, I can do something with that because I see a contour in it. I see a something. In, and that's, I like working with, with rough rock that you look at and you can't see anything. So I see a contour and I start working with a contour and work this and this and this and, and I just keep, it keeps building out. And, and the rock works with me because, you know, I look at it and it says, it's kind of, it talks back and says, hey, you know, 
um, I think that it's this, or I've got this, or I can contribute this. Um, and I never know what is in a rock. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it could have extra different kind of stone in the middle or a crack, or it could have, you know, all of a sudden it's, I mean, you don't know. And, and that to me is that, that discovery and that curiosity of finding out what it is and, and working with it because when it's not working, I know there's something in there, but I have to put it down because I know it's, um, and, and the rock will tell me, like it sounds really odd, but you know, when, when I think there's quite often people have heard of Michelangelo saying there's a, there's a sculpture in every piece of stone. And I believe that's true. And so I bring it out. And if I can't find it, I put it down because I know it's there. And just, it's waiting to talk to me. And um, one of the things also about my sculpting is that um, it's not an uncommon thing for me to go and work for days on a piece on what I think is going to be the front. And then I work for a lot less time on the back. And then I turn it around and say, oh, the back is the right way to have it. So what the back turns into the front or, or I, have to, I turn it 180 degrees and suddenly wow, it's, it's amazing. It's got this energy to it. It's got, and so there is no part of the process where um, I can just say, well, this is what it is. Because the stone comes out with different colors, different shapes, different ways that the light falls off. And you just got to be flexible. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the thing that really you know, you say, what gets me up in the morning to go and do sculpting? It's, it's discovering things and, and the curiosity and the enjoyment of making something out of nothing. And, and uh, you know, it's that curiosity and that analytical stuff that that's what they made my day when I was working. I mean, um, yeah, I was just in my mind. Thinking, of- sorry, I was just in my mind thinking as you're talking about this whole process of discovery, um, how, how it naturally makes sense that you're the same guy that chose the mystery box job, right? Because it's that same curiosity, that same process of discovery, that same kind of following your joy and just allowing things to happen. And also your belief that, yeah, of course it's going to work out. Of course this will be something amazing. Well, well, you know, and you, you gotta have a belief. You gotta have, you know, cause I mean, Otherwise, you're starting with negative thoughts when it comes to, you know, the sculpting and stuff like that, or even other things you do in your life. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't start working on your garden saying, hey, you know, this is going to turn out like, no, it's not going to be very nice. So, you know, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Well, like, so you make it nice because it's worth investing your energy and time and thought in. I mean... And, it, you know, it's, you can do so much with, in a sense, so little, because it's so much of your life is about what makes you happy and what pleases you. And, you know, if what pleases you is to go out every day into the garden, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, um, I don't do much gardening these days because I go and do the stonework, but... You know, there was a time when I had these mammoth gardens uh, early on in my career. Um, when I first started working for the finance people, I mean, I had a, this little teeny house with this humongous lot. And 
right? I mean, you know, I planted vegetables. I plant, I, I mean, I ended up giving away most of the stuff because, I mean, how can you? I had like 30 tomato plants for two people, right? But I enjoyed it. And, and so you go when you do these things and you kind of, you know, and if you stop to think to yourself, man, why on earth would I plant 30 tomato plants? You wouldn't plant possibly pet any tomato plants, right? Or, or you know, um, or you get two and you get a poor crop yield and you say, oh, that was disappointing. Well, like, why don't you plant 30 and then, then you're sure you're going to have lots of tomatoes. <laughs> so does, does nature play any role in your creative process? Just out of curiosity. Um, apart from the natural rock, not really. I mean, um, to be honest with you, it's just me and the piece of rock and to see what comes out. I mean, and, and it's, you know, there's a, I think a commercial like bits and bites, you never know what you're going to get out of it. Well, that's a bit how I start. Um, I, I find that I work way better if I don't impose myself on the, on the work. Right. If I try to impose myself, then it's never quite what it could be. And, you know, one of the things about life and, and uh, I found is that, and, you know, I'm sure that your readers or your listeners probably are finding the same thing at times is that, you know, if you get yourself set on a certain track of how things are going to work and they don't work that way, then there's a great tendency that I found for people to say, oh, it didn't work. And, oh, I'm disappointed it didn't work. Um, when, in fact, something else is happening that is coming out of things that suddenly says, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's, it's a better outcome than you could ever have imagined but you've got to stop to see it and you've got to stop to say, Hey, look at that over there. That's a really cool outcome of what's coming. It's happening. Well, I like that. Um, and that's so much better than what the track I was on. And, you know, um, when I was working, uh, I always had a philosophy where, um, and yeah, not everybody can do this, but because with the analytical and trying to make decisions on, on, things, I always included my staff and asked them for their opinion and their view. And uh, I would say to them and to whoever first came next, that um, as boss, I always retain the responsibility for the output. And I retain the, you know, my privilege to make the final decision, whether you like it or you don't, that's my privilege. But I want to hear what your options are because quite often I found that my staff's insights and options and, and ideas were far superior to mine. And I had no monopoly on, on being the smartest, the brightest, the best, whatever. And what's more, I found that uh, a lot of people get locked into their decisions and because they, they think it's a weakness or they think that they shouldn't, shouldn't, you know, say to their staff, hey, I, I didn't do this quite right. And you can couch it in a lot of different terms. And I, I was wrong or whatever. But, you know, people have a lot to contribute. And you can go so much further as a group and a team and, a, and working and interacting with people than you can 
um, just saying this is the way it's going to be. And again, with my stonework, I interact with stone all the time, right? Like the contours that it presents initially are the contours that show up in my designs and that, con you know, and people say, well, how did you ever think of that? And, 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 and half of it is, well, that's what the, the, the shape of the stone was. So I just enhanced the shape of the stone. I kind of, you know, it's like stealing from, you know, copying somebody. Well, I, I copy what the stone tells me, right? And it can't, well, it's got a lovely curve in it. Well, I'm going to go with that. I guess that's your connection to nature, right? Because the stuff that you're working with is the product of nature, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all unique. It's all different. And that's why, you know, you go out and it's a, it's a new day and it's a new time and you just go and you do it. And, um, you know, you develop your skills over time. So you do it a little faster. Like I, I work faster now than I did before. Um, I don't ponder things the same way as I did because I've got that much more confidence in my skills and abilities. And, and, but still without, you know, the, for me, the hardest thing is to, is to approach a piece of square rock mm. with, with uh, one color square rock, right? Like that's hard because right. no, there's no hook. There's no place to get started. There's no, you know, it's, it's like the concept of a, a, a blank canvas. Yeah. Well, I start, what do I do? How do I make it go? And, and, you know, throwing a little paint on it, right? All of a sudden, hey, I like that shape. I like, I can work with that. And then, then all of a sudden it works. And but then it becomes a conversation, right? Yes, it does. And it's you and, and you know, I would imagine, I've never I talked to other artists about it, but um, because I'm a little bit more unique and I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not a painter or a two-dimensional artist very much, but I, I would imagine that they sort of have to have a, a bit of a, a place to put the pin for them to get started what they have. And all of a sudden then their imagination can get going. Right. Um, you know, uh, much as we like to believe we can think up unique things um, by ourselves without any help. It's never true. It's uh, you always borrow. You always say, Oh, this or, or gee, you know, I like that shape or, or, Hey, you know, I saw somebody put, you know, a red dot on something, you know, in a canvas. And hey, I can do that with my sculpture. You know, I, you know, you kind of borrow. And, you know, that's the history of art. That's the history of business. Everybody borrows from everybody else. And, um, you know, so that's what I do. Yeah, in some ways, there are no new ideas. And in some ways, everything we do is a new idea. Yes, absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Um. I have kind of a strange question for you. You can see if you want to answer this. It's about, you had us uh, in the Destig magazine, you described your sculpture, Helen, as a strong warrior and a feminine woman with a subtle raw edge who is full of joy and calls out her beauty. And you talked about feeling elated mm -hmm. when you look at her. And I just had this intuition or this thought about her almost like she's a real person. And I wondered what your thoughts were if she could speak to my listeners who are wanting to be free to become who they want, what would she say to them? I think that what she would say is you gotta be yourself. You gotta be strong. 
you got to believe. And, you know, uh, if you have the chance, if, you know, it's um, uh, to see the photograph of the piece, it's, it's a remarkable piece. And it was one of the very first pieces I ever did. And it's in a beautiful pink alabaster. And it's very feminine with the colors. The shapes are very pleasing. But it's strong and powerful. And it says, hey, I am what I am. I have faith in myself. I believe. And, you know, I can be both soft and I can be, have a little edge and I can leave, you know, um, you know, it's got a little bit of rough edge that is never been touched. That's there because everyone's got a little bit of rough edge, but it's got a, a smoothness and a beauty and a, and a rhythm to it that you kind of, you kind of look at and, 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 and it's like, Hey, yeah, if, if you can do it, if I can do it, you can do it. And it's, it's, it's an internal strength and power. And, and, you know, it's, it sits there and it says, Hey, I am what I am. And you better love me because I'm pretty darn cool. <laughs> Sounds like Helen is a wise old soul to me. It, it is. It is. That's, uh, but it's also like, man, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, uh, you know, that's the joy of being able to, for me to be able to, is you can make beautiful things, but you can also make some really strong statements. Um, there's a, a piece that, uh, I, every piece has a different connection to me, but there's a piece called, uh, that I've recently done, it's called Wounded Warrior, and it's in a different shows that we've got into. And I don't tend to make things very much that are really representational, and it's a bit of an abstract piece for somebody, but it's, it too has that same power to it. It has a presence, a power. It has a, you know, it says, look at me, but think. And that's what Helen does. Helen says, look at me, but, you know, think. And, you know, I still have no idea. I look at, I look, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I look at it and I say, think, why did I do that? And I, I can't tell you exactly why. It's just that it was the right thing to do. And the right thing, I needed this, and, I, and it's got, it's just, it's just wonderful. And that I could make something as phenomenal as that, that can, in a sense, talk to you like that, right from the beginning, that just goes, and, and it gives me encouragement again to be thinking, hey, I can make more good stuff. Because yeah. one of the things that's hard as an artist, and, and as hard as somebody working in their in their you know, in an office or in a business or whatever is, you know, do I still have, you know, do I have a good day of sales ahead of me? Do I have a good day of, of meetings with good people and, and ideas ahead of me? Do I have that? And it's the same thing for, for, you know, uh, at least for me as an artist mm -hmm. is I go, I think to myself, do I still got a good piece in me? Do I still got a good piece in me? Well, and the answer is that is, well, yeah, I got lots of pieces of rock. So there's, there's a, there's a good piece. I just got to find it. Yeah. And the amazing thing is because uh, your sculpting is a conversation with the rocks. If one day you wake up, you don't have an idea. The rock might have an idea. Absolutely. Well, if the rock, if I can't see something in the rock, I leave it. I yep. got pieces that, that I got pieces in my, in my studio that have been around for two, three, four years. And I just have not figured out how to approach it and how, what to do. But once I do, it just goes. I mean, there's a, um, there's a lovely piece, uh, you know, and if you 
if you were to look at that, uh, uh, the one where the best, you know, artist to collect, there's a piece called Denizen. And it's, it's a very happy looking. Sorry, the best thing. artist to collect. Is that the Destig magazine? Well, no, that's the, that's the world biz one. Okay. The word, can like, you just describe 30 artists to collect. Sorry, just so, that, just so that listeners could look that okay. up. What, what is um, it? So there is a World Biz magazine, yeah. most recent article, or most recent one that just came out a few weeks ago, has an article in it. It's quite almost at the very end of the magazine, because most of the magazines interviews of CEOs and executives and stuff. Okay. But it has, a, it has a section in it which is, says, uh, 30 artists to collect in 2021. And I'm on the list. And so they have a picture and they have your information and a little blurb in there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think the reason I got to be the very first on the list was, again, because I was an executive that I converted to yeah. and that's something that would resonate with the readers of the magazine. But in that, the picture in there is a piece called Denizen. And Denizen hung around and was, you know, I chipped up and it was on my floor for a long, I couldn't, I tried working at nothing, nothing, nothing. And all of a sudden I picked it up and said, okay, I'm going to, and I just, you know, I, the first thing I cut into it, if you, if you go and look at the piece on my website is I cut in and it created a big smile on the piece. And then I started working on it and working on it. And um, there are two eyes popped out just like <laughs> it has, they had two inclusions and it's the only big inclusions in the whole piece of stone. Yeah. And they out as eyes symmetrical and it was like this thing came just came out of out of out of the ooze saying holy yeah. moly with the eyes and the mouth and the and the, I mean it's 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 very happy but I, I look at it and I think how did I ever make that because I found that in the stone and that is that's to me is a quintessential thing it's it's also I think I make the same comment in the Destic magazine article Mm -hmm. about because they asked me for three or four pieces I particularly like but you know it, it's it's like that with life I mean if you don't you know you can decide to take a big stone and make it you know keep grinding until it's a little piece of stone or you can seriously you can turn it into dust but you know you you got to figure you got to and you got to look and think and 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 evaluate all the way along and by doing that you end up with something really amazing and that's the same thing with your career you kind of say and you do stuff and you learn stuff and um you know it's the journey along the way that really to me was the best thing in my whole career was a journey and um you know one of the things i've noticed for a lot of people is that their focus isn't on the journey their focus is on hey i want to get to be a real senior person, or I want to make big bucks, or I want to do this, or, you know, but hey, I, I can only stay in my job. I'm crumb. I've learned everything. Well, there's never such thing as a learned everything about a job. Um, there is, you know, you do that, you know, you've learned what you physically have to do to do the job. Mm -hmm. But, but that, that's just the beginning of it. And, um, uh, you know, I was never, uh, driven by money. Um, you know, I obviously have done quite well financially and, and 
and been able to translate that into a, a really easy, comfortable retirement time. But um, I was never driven by money because quite honestly, um, my experience with money is that money is a, is a means to get to something else. Um, and to me, collecting money so that you can say I've got a big bank balance doesn't really mean very much because uh, it's all about living your life. And, uh, you know, someone who has no bank balance and someone who has a huge bank balance, uh, if you don't spend it, um, on one case you have it, in one case you don't, but if you don't spend it when you have it, you might as well not have it. I think uh, that, that is so true. And I think it's a great uh, point to wrap this up because there are so many kernels of wisdom here. I think you're like, if you ever want another career, I think you're a natural life coach too. Um, because there's just so many things that I can draw out of this that I think will be very useful for the listeners. Um, I think part of this interview is about your art and it's going to make a lot of people quite interested in seeing it and exploring it um, just in part because of its pure beauty and also just to see the human capacity to be so excellent at something in such a short time period. And so I'm going to put details in the show notes to this episode, but I'm just wondering if you could tell people orally here a couple quick ways that they can find you online and also in person. Well, the, uh, the best way to find me online is to go to a website and it's tomashborn.com. Uh, and, uh, I think that my Instagram account is tom.ashborn um, and everything is all about me. And <laughs> As it uh, be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, and so, and uh, if you want to email me, it's tom at tomashborn.com. And where um, can we see you live? Beg your pardon? Where can we where? see you live? Well, right now I'm showing a couple of pieces at the, uh, uh, sculpture, uh, sculpture, sculpture Society of Canada, which is down in the distillery district. Now, unfortunately, there aren't uh, too Toronto. many. Toronto. It's yes. just, um, um, and uh, there's a lot of fantastic sculptors down there. And uh, if you phone ahead, you know, they can tell you whether they're available or open or not open or whatever the thing is. But I've got pieces there. Um, you also uh, have a gallery out here where I live, right? I in the county. Can you tell us about that? Well, I, I have, uh, I have a, a studio and I have a gallery mm -hmm. and it, uh, it's a, it's here in just outside of Wellington and, uh, uh, 17009 Loyalist Parkway in Wellington. And, and, uh, and what's the name of it? Tom Ashbourne gallery. Of course. Of course. Uh, you know, again, to those of you who are, are listening, uh, you know, you go to branding and originally I said, well, what's the name of our gallery? And I was told Tom Ashbourne. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like that's what, what's the name of our gallery? It's gotta be some, and the answer was it's you. And, and that's what it is for everyone out there. It's you. It's not somebody else. It's not, it's you. And so be proud of your brand. Be proud of you. And that's why everything is all about Tom Ashbourne. And um, it's unbelievable. I went from 
from having virtually zero presence, if you were to Google my name, to apparently now I've got 35 pages. Wow. In, in, <laughs> right? It's just like, I, you know, and, but, you know, it's you. And, and really, you know, if that's the one thing I can leave with the people that are listening, it's about you. And don't think it's, it's about being, you know, hubris. It's your skills. It's your abilities. It's your thoughts. It's your talents that you bring and the talents you show every day. And that's, you know, uh, and you just got to be faithful to you and be yourself. You know, somebody said to me, you got to be yourself because everybody else is taken. And, and so that's what I would leave people with. So that's a great end to the uh, interview. It's all about you, listeners. Take that in. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. You're very welcome. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. As you can see, Tom is a natural life coach. He, you can see how, why people think he's such a great guy and why everybody wants to keep in touch with him and why his staff loved him um, because he just naturally kept thinking about you throughout all of his comments, which I thought was so nice. So I just want to summarize a few takeaways. There are so many that I could uh, point out, but I'm just going to highlight a few of them. His advice to you is, first of all, just try something different. Take a chance, as he puts it, just give it a whirl. The biggest thing he said was to have faith in yourself. Trust your judgment about what's best for you. Don't let other people decide what you can or can't do. Just have faith in your skills, your abilities, your passions, your interests, and try those things. And throughout, one thing that really helped him was to connect with people, develop relationships with them so he has all of these people who has his best interests at heart. So the advice for you is connect with people who have your best interests at heart. Develop that support network around you that will get you through transitions in your life. Invest in your future right now by taking time to do things you love. And as he points out, even in his busy banking job that demanded your life, he was able to create 15 hours a week to follow what was important to him. And he pointed out to you that that's really an investment in you. It's important time. And he also said, makes life worth living. If you don't take out time to enjoy things, what's the point? Also, don't think too much and create roadblocks for yourself. Overthinking doesn't work. As we kept hearing over and over again, he just did it. He just took a chance. He just trusted his judgment and just did it. And then I love the way he ended it off. It's all about you. So back to what Helen had to say, say to yourself, like she says about herself, hey, I am what I am and you better love me because I'm pretty darn cool. If you enjoyed the episode today, I would be so appreciative if you would let your friends know about this podcast, share it, share this with your friends who are caught up in jobs and they think they don't have time. Um, share it with your friends who think because they've 
done one thing or they become very invested in one dimensional in one career that there's nothing else they can do. I think this is an interview of hope for many people. So spread the word and share this episode if you would. Thanks and see you next time. So if you're energized by the possibilities you're hearing about on this podcast, but you're wondering how it's possible to actually make what you've been fantasizing about doing actually happen, I'd love you to join me for a free strategy session where we'll talk about coaching together. We'll explore how you can start making what you want possible by taking small, easy steps that add up to something amazing. Just click on the link in the show notes below this episode to book your free call. I'd love to meet you live. And all my listeners, remember, it's finally your time to do what you want.